It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back to Money for Lunch. It's good to have you here. I'm excited. On the show today, we have Francis Jackson, an attorney who specializes in protecting the rights of our veterans, and this is so vitally important. Uh, a lot of people aren't aware of this, but uh, goodness, the uh, um, sometimes our brave men and women come back after putting themselves in harm's way and being harmed, either mentally or physically, or both, and then they can't get their benefits. So the important they, they do very important work. And I'm uh, always a big fan of what they do. They've helped thousands of people. And uh, sometimes um, sometimes it takes a very, very long time to win these things because you're battling the U.S. government, so it's not easy. All right, the quote of the day. The quote of the day was sent to me by uh, Cheryl H. from uh, Michigan. And... Cheryl, thank you so much for sending this out. The quote of the day is from George Burns. Don't stay in bed unless you can make money in bed. And that's kind of, uh, that's cute. I can see George Burns saying that. All right, let's get this party started. On the show, as I mentioned, is Francis Jackson. Francis Jackson is an attorney who specializes in disability law for those seeking veterans disability benefits and social security disability benefits a founding partner of Jackson McNichol. He has been featured on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox network affiliates around the country. He's most recently appeared as a guest of the Ben Glass show, oh, as a guest of Ben Glass on Consumer Advocate show, discussing benefits for veterans and Social Security disability benefits and how his practice allows him to make a difference in the lives of people facing disabilities. He's also been quoted in USA Today and is listed in Cambridge Who's Who. Mr. Jackson was honored by the National Academy of Bestselling Authors with a Quilly Award in September of 2012 for his contribution as a joint author to the bestselling book, Protect and Defend, where he wrote about protecting one's right to veterans' disability compensation. In 2017, Mr. Jackson was inducted into America's Most Trusted Lawyers, for his outstanding work in disability law. Francis Jackson, welcome back to Money for Lunch. Thanks so much, Bert. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's always good to have you here. And, and uh, man, it was a little bit of a, a rough start, but I'm glad you're here. And I'm excited because, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand there is a new study out regarding the VA's Quality Assurance Program for compensation claims. I want you to uh, tell us about it. What's going on with this study? Sure. Well, this is actually pretty pretty interesting for those of us who do this kind of stuff, Bert. Um, a bunch of researchers from Stanford looked at data on almost 600,000 veterans' appeals cases from 2003 to 2016. They, were the, they, were, they got all this information under the Freedom of Information Act and and assessed the, uh, the VA's quality assurance program. And what they found was that 
the quality assurance program essentially does not work. That's 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 mm. really the bottom line when you, when you read to the all all the way to the end. The uh, they looked at all these cases. They looked at the ones that had been through uh, the quality review process and the ones that hadn't. And one of the researchers, by the way, is a fellow by the name of uh, David Ames, who was the former chief of the Office of Quality Review at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And what um, the folks at Quality Review are supposed to do is they take a random sample of every 20th case, essentially, you know, 5% of the cases, and they look at them to see if the decision is correct and, and is, uh, you know, otherwise appropriate. And what they found was that there was absolutely no difference between the cases that were subjected to quality review and the cases they weren't, whereas you would think that uh, given the high rate of remands in the uh, system, that the cases that got the special quality review would show a different result, but right. not so. So uh, they, they looked at all this research, and uh, Ames had a, uh, a, a great quote. Uh, he was quoted as saying, I found it increasingly difficult to shake the suspicion that our system was not benefiting veterans. And I think that's a, a pretty fair wow. assessment. The, you know, they looked at, at 5% of all the cases. They randomly selected them so that there shouldn't have been any, any bias in the result. And the, uh, the appeals rate and remand rates were absolutely just un, indistinguishable between the, the cases that, that got um, quality review and the cases that didn't. So it's uh, it's just a, a fascinating piece of research. And you know, when you look at the fact that the statistics that the quality review people are putting out is saying that its accuracy rate at the board is uh, between 91 and 95 percent, and then you look at these this, this, these statistics from quality review. And you just have to go away shaking your head, saying, you know, there's something that's not not working here. Uh, man, I, I it's hard to believe that uh, that uh, in this study by uh, uh, didn't match what the the numbers that the government was putting out. That's kind of shocker. Yeah, well, you know, um, sometimes. <laughs> One uh, has to take these things with a little grain of salt, but what what they found was that the uh, really the researchers apparently were influenced by uh, the need to keep the uh, the accuracy rate up because that's tied to um, other kinds of uh, of factors that are linked to everything up to and including the uh, amount of the budget that they they. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a problem, you know. And yeah, no, it's it is it's it's it is sad. And again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the work that you guys do is important. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that hey, the work that other lawyers do isn't important, but I have a soft spot for our men and women who put themselves in harm's way, and then they have to come back and fight a different battle. Yeah, that's what happened. Are, yeah, so, so okay, so let me ask you this. Are there any legislative developments on this issue? 
Well, there's actually an interesting bill uh, in the Senate. Um, it doesn't it doesn't speak solely to this, but what it uh, proposes is a limitation on situations where veterans are incorrectly paid. Um, as you and I have talked about, when the VA mistakenly overpays someone, they can then go back and say, you have to pay this money back, and they can take it out of the benefits that people are due. Mm. And you can appreciate that if you've got some money and you spend it, and then the VA comes back and says, oh, gee, we overpaid you by ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000, and we now want you to pay it back uh, for someone who's on now a fixed benefit amount and has no other income, that can be a huge problem. And so what is being proposed here is a bill um, that would limit the abilities, the ability of the VA to require repayment. Currently, the way it works is VA officials can withhold up to 100% of a veteran's monthly benefits to recoup these past overpayments even if it was the VA's fault. You know, you know, and, and look, accidentally overpaid you, that's fine, but they shouldn't make it a burden on the person that they just, you know, if it's their mistake, they need to make it as easy for the veteran to deal with it, not make it another problem. And, and that's really the point behind this bill. I mean, the problem is intensified by the fact that the VA often doesn't catch up to these things right away. So, you know, say they give you the money this month and you're thinking, well, okay, you know, I, I've got this old car. I need to get a new car. I go and spend most of the money. And it may be a year or two before the VA gets around to figuring out that they've overpaid you. And by then you don't have the money. So you can't just send back the check, you know, because by then it's gone. So it, it becomes a real problem. And what this legislation would do, assuming it passes, is that it would limit the VA in two ways. First, they could never take more than 25% of the monthly benefits that you're entitled to. So say that um, you know, you're getting 500 a month, say 1,000 a month from the VA, they couldn't take more than 250 of your $1,000. And it would also put a five-year limit on the repayment so that um, they couldn't extend that repayment period beyond five years. So whatever they could recoup at 25% for five years would be the limit that they could recoup. And I, I think that's pretty reasonable. Uh, whether it'll pass in the Senate, who knows? But that's, that's the, uh, the legislation that's been proposed by uh, Senator Tester and uh, Senator Boozman. Uh, and it looks to me like it's a pretty reasonable bill. And it seems to have a fair amount of support, whether it will actually pass and all those things, you, you never know. The political calculus gets very strange at times. But I am hopeful that it will, in fact, pass, because I think it would really help a number of veterans. There were approximately 200,000 veterans that got overpayment notices just last year. Wow. Man, that's a, that's a, that's a good chunk. Yeah, that's a lot of people. So I'm, I'm very <laughs> That the uh, that the bill will pass and will provide some relief for uh, for the folks who are getting hardest hit. I mean, I understand the argument that 
if the government overpaid you, you should pay it back. But that's simply not always possible for some people, depending on their economic circumstances. It simply, you know, isn't a choice for them. Um, you know, you have to you have to continue to eat. You have to continue to put a place, uh, you know, a roof over your head. Um, and in many cases, uh, you have to pay for medications or copay for medications. So it's a it's a real problem. That hopefully, this will fix it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm hoping it will. I, I again, you fought for your country, and you know if you're if you're having some struggles, I think it's not unreasonable. Especially, look, after five years, if if you made that big of a mistake, sometimes you just got to let it go. You got to say, hey, you know, we screwed up, but we'll just. You know, we'll try to do better next time. I think, uh, you know, it's almost a no-win scenario because uh, first, I wasn't getting my my uh, my benefits. Now that I'm getting my benefits, uh, you know, after some struggle, I finally got my benefits. Now they accidentally overpaid me and it put me in a different position. And so it's like, geez, let's uh, can we possibly make it any harder for our brave men and women, right? That seems to be the issue. Okay, so let me ask you this. Looking at this, do you think that the that this is affecting the way the courts deal with uh, VA compensation issues? You know, it's obviously not possible to say that there's some direct correlation, but what has happened recently, Bert, there's a very interesting trend, I think, in both the Court of Appeals for veterans claims and the court that reviews those decisions, the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, in which those courts have been, well, more liberal is a poor way of phrasing it because that's really not a a correct analysis, but the short version is that they have been less willing to tolerate mistaken decisions by the VA. The, the, uh, The big, big test recently you and I have talked some about the fact that veterans in Vietnam who are exposed to Agent Orange get certain presumptions that help them to win their cases. Right. And they're presumed, for example, to have been exposed to Agent Orange and, and are entitled to a presumption for diabetes and prostate cancer and lung cancer and some other things. Um, the Federal Circuit did an absolutely unheard of thing. I, I know you're not... Uh, interested in the minutia of how courts operate, but when the federal circuit, as a circuit court, hears cases, it hears them in panels of three judges. Okay. And there is there is a special provision in the rules for them to hear a case in what's called en banc, meaning every judge on the court can participate, and, and generally in en banc cases they all do. So the Navy veterans who have been making claims for Agent Orange-related claims, uh, diseases like the diabetes or the prostate cancer or whatever, um, have been routinely told that they are not covered by the presumption because they weren't, uh, in the VA's phrase, boots on the ground in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the Federal Circuit just did this ex- extremely unusual thing where they, on their own initiative, decided to hear a case en banc 
meaning every judge is going to participate. And they heard a case called Procopio versus Wilkie. And in that case, they reversed a decision that they had written about 10 years ago, upholding the VA's position that um, Navy sailors, what they call blue water sailors, were not entitled to the presumption of, of exposure to Agent Orange. They reversed that and reinterpreted the regulation to say that from this point forward, and probably it may be applicable to a bunch of cases that were filed before, but that's, that's, that's not clear yet. But the short version is going forward, any Navy veteran who served during the Vietnam War within the territorial waters of Vietnam, which would be up to 12 miles off the coast, is now going to get the benefit of the presumption of exposure to Agent Orange. And that's huge. And it's interesting that Congress has tried several times to pass a bill to that effect. And the most recent time was this legislative session. It failed by two votes in the Senate. Um, two Republican senators said they, they didn't want to spend the money. So it didn't pass. But the court has now reached out and essentially said, you know, we don't really care what you think, Senate. We're, we're going to uh, revise our decision. We're going to make those folks eligible. And I think that is a reflection of the court's increasing impatience with the level of error that they're finding in these VA decisions. For example, we just had a, a wonderful decision in the Court of uh, Appeals for the Federal Circuit where Our Lady uh, not only is going to get benefits, but they uh, they ordered VA to pay her 25 years of, of back benefits as a widow for the wow. death of her husband. And so we're we're just thrilled about that. And ordinarily, what they do in these cases is they they remand the case, they send it back for the VA to kind of do it over. In this case, they outright reversed and said, just go back and pay her, which is extremely unusual. It's the second reversal I've gotten in 20 years doing this. And I, I, we're, we're just thrilled. But, but I think it's a reflection of the fact that the courts are becoming more and more frustrated with the level of difficulty in these VA cases where the same case will get remanded and the VA will not get it right again. It'll get remanded again. The VA will not get it right again. And it'll just go round and round like this. Uh, the lawyers that do this sometimes refer to it as the hamster wheel. But it's, uh, I, I think some of these new cases are really a, a reflection that the courts are willing to tolerate this less than they have been. And I, I think that's a good thing for veterans. Yeah, it is. I think uh, it's an outstanding thing. And could you imagine this lady you're talking about, your client uh, who lost her husband, and then she has waited 25 years to get those benefits? That's crazy. Well, it's a it's a very unusual fact pattern, but um, she's she's been getting. Since uh, 2009 now, it's taken that long for us to get the issue of her back benefits from 1984 to 19 to 2009 decided. And it's one of the one of the things that came up in this uh, study that we were talking about earlier is they're saying that the the average time now to get your VA claim 
uh, decided is seven years. The average wow. Time. That's the average time. And again, we know that that's that if that's the average time, that's just terrible. That is just unbelievably long. Um, you know, so I want to ask you this. So, sure. I know that they, uh, last time I think you and I spoke, there was, uh, you talked about an appeal system, um, and, and that there, uh, that there was going to be a, a new appeal system. So let's talk about that. What effect will, you know, will the new appeal system have on this problem? You know, it's, it's, Really too soon to tell is the short answer, Bert. But here's the situation. What the VA did was they implemented this new field system effective February 19th of this year. Okay. And the system is designed to split cases up in ways that are supposed to make it move faster. And so now if you file a claim you get a couple of choices about how the VA handles that claim. So you have um, sort of separate tracks, if you will. Uh, one, one track is if you get denied on your initial claim, you can file what the VA is calling a supplemental claim where you can add new evidence. And you, you have to do that within a year. And you can, you can do that essentially indefinitely. You can keep uh, refiling as long as you add new evidence to try to get the VA to get it right. Uh, the other way you can go is similar or more similar, at least to the, to the old uh, appeals procedure where you file the claim and once you get a decision, you can either ask for review by a more experienced uh, adjudicator at the VA, what they call higher level review, or you can appeal directly to the Board of Veterans Appeals and again, they've, they've split up the procedural method at the board. You can file what they call a direct appeal where you simply ask the board to review what was done below. No new evidence, no testimony, nothing. Just, just a direct review of what happened. You can file a, a, in a different, what they're calling lane, where you can have review of the decision and you can add new evidence, but no hearing. Or you have a third choice where you have the, the full kind of due process hearing. You uh, are allowed to add new evidence. You're allowed to have a face-to-face, -face, well, at least a video face-to-face -face with uh, a board judge and come in and explain the situation to them. And so you have several different options. And one of the things that I'm a little concerned about actually I'm more than a little concerned about, is the VA, when they're sending out the decisions now, they send a sheet saying, okay, you have these choices on, on review if you want to appeal. What they used to do is they would include with a decision a similar fact sheet about what you can do, but they would also include the forms that they require you to use to appeal. And they've stopped doing that. So now you have to go and scout out the forms on your own on the Internet. And, you know, um, for lots of people, that's not a big challenge. Unfortunately, right. for some disabled folks and some 
older and not particularly well-educated folks, that's a real challenge. And so I, I'm not at all sure how this whole appeals process is going to work in terms of helping veterans. My best guess is that it will, in fact, shorten the time, but I think it's going to increase the number of claims that get denied. That's, that's my, my best assessment overall at this point. We just don't have enough statistics to be sure yet. Sure. No, that makes sense. So it'll shorten the time, but more appeals will be filed, so therefore it just may be a wash. Yeah, I think what's going to happen is more and more people are going to get denied, at least at the earlier stages. Um, so while the while the time to complete the appeal is going to be shorter, I think the result is going to be worse. It's it's a it's a sort of a strange mix at this point the way they've done it. But obviously, until we get to see some some real statistics, it's hard to it's hard to be sure. But the the initial numbers certainly seem to report, support that. Sure, sure. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, for our veterans, uh, will they still need assistance on their claims with the new appeal system? Is that uh, simpler, about the same? Walk me through that. I'm afraid they're going to need more help, Bert. As I said, one of the things that the government has done is to take away um, the level of assistance they used to provide in the sense of providing the appeal forms. So the, um, the other piece of it is they've increased the options. So I think it's going to be harder for people to figure out exactly what to do. And without the forms, I think it's going to be harder for them to figure out how to do it. Now, they, they did do some mechanical things in the process that that ought to shorten the the time span from an initial decision to completion of an appeal. It looks like to me is all that's going to do is push more people into this supplemental lane where they have to keep looping back. So I don't I'm not at all sure that in terms of of resolving any particular veteran's uh, particular claim, the time is going to shorten the. I think it's just going to result in essentially more claims is, is what it amounts to. Yeah. You know what? And, and unfortunately, one of the reasons that I think this problem is so bad is because, as I've learned from you, that an attorney is not officially allowed to help veterans at the start of the process. And it seems like if they were allowed some professional help at the start of the process, less claims would be denied. I think that's correct, Bert. But as you know, the the underlying thinking here is that VA is supposed to be helping folks, and so um, they don't really need professional help at the beginning. Unfortunately, as we've seen, the statistics just don't bear that out. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I want to, I should have done this earlier, but if somebody needs some help, if they want to talk with you or somebody on your team, they can go to veteransbenefits.com, veteransbenefits.com. And you have a bunch of information there. Plus there's, you know, if if somebody wants to chat online or whatever, they can just go there at veteransbenefits.com and get all sorts of help, right? 
we will do our very best to help them, Bert. That's the place to go. Absolutely. Yep, that's the place to go. Francis Jackson, thank you so much. And I appreciate you supporting our brave men and women and looking forward to having you back again. I'm looking forward to it, too, Bert. You take care. All righty. Good stuff there from Francis Jackson. He's the lawyer who specializes in helping veterans get their benefits. So if you know somebody, maybe you should introduce them to Francis or uh, just have them go to veteransbenefits.com and start, you know, start seeing if there might be a fit there. Uh, maybe they've been denied and, and they need help. Maybe they don't need any help, but it's always good to know a place where you can get your answers. The challenge with this is that this process is like a different language. And it would be like me, uh, I don't know, being dropped in a foreign land where I don't know the span, I don't know the customs or the language and expecting to know stuff. And so what happens, you're, you're, you're overwhelmed with having to figure out this paperwork and, and how to answer things correctly. And in some cases, you have to learn a new terminology. And let me tell you, it's not easy, as Francis indicated, by the widow who waited 25 years for her benefits. 25 years. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help as many people as possible understand that they don't have to suffer in silence, that they can get help. Let's help. Uh, let's share this episode. And remember, my friends, as always, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.